Welcome back to Christian's Colloquy. I'm Christian, and I'm so glad that you could join me again today. For today's episode, I'm going to be doing something a little different, but also very familiar. It's going to be another hymn review, but instead of just picking a hymn that I enjoy or want to present just because, I'm actually bringing a hymn that deeply, deeply is rooted in my current schoolwork. As many of you know, and this is the reason why I've been a bit inconsistent with uploading, I'm at the end of my first semester of my PhD program, and let me tell you, things are a lot busier than I thought they'd be. A lot of papers, a lot of presentations, a lot of work, but I thought this was the perfect time to get in and upload because I can share with you all a hymn that actually is the foundation of many of the things I'm working on. I'm sharing a hymn that I actually just presented on yesterday in a class presentation, and I'm using in one of my big final papers. So what's that hymn? What am I doing with hymns in my schoolwork? Well, to give you a little brief idea of what's going on, I'm in a class on theodicy, which is the problem of evil, God, how we make sense of God and evil in the world of early modern theology. So in the class, we've been looking at various thinkers throughout Christian history, especially in the early modern Renaissance Enlightenment era, and talking about how they understood evil, how they spoke about evil, what are some of those big developments were. And for my presentation and final paper, I'm zooming in on the views of evangelicals and theodicy, specifically John and Charles Wesley, those great evangelical revivalist figures that we're familiar with. We've talked a little bit on the channel, haven't done an episode on them specifically, but now I thought it might be the perfect time since one of the hymns that I'm working on, I just had it in my presentation, I'm using it for my paper, is one of Charles Wesley's hymns in response to earthquakes. Earthquakes being major natural disasters that formed many of the issues relating to evil, how we understand God's hand in evil, his response to evil, how we should relate to God in the face of evil. Earthquakes were one of those big central issues, especially the Lisbon earthquake of 1755. And evangelicals, as they would for many other things, in response to great events were writing hymns. So Charles Wesley actually has two collections of called Earthquake Hymns, which he wrote in response to earthquakes in England, to the Lisbon earthquake, and many other issues. So I thought right now, let me share with you one of these Earthquake Hymns that I'm working with. Let's hear what makes this hymn unique. We don't, Earthquake Hymns are probably a genre of hymns that you're not familiar with. I certainly wasn't familiar with until this paper. So let's dig into it a little bit. And I'm going to share maybe three things that I find helpful about this kind of hymn, that I appreciate about this hymn, and why I'm grateful that Charles Wesley took the time to write such a hymn. So this is hymn number four of his second collection of earthquake hymns. I'm going to read it out. Be warned, it's a long one. It's about 10 stanzas, so you could just sit back. If you're watching on YouTube, read the lines with me. If you're on the podcast, just settle in, listen to as I read it, and then I will share some of those thoughts. And uh, at the end of this episode, I'll give you a few ideas of things that are coming out in the future on this channel after my semester is done. So let me read you the hymn, the Earthquake Hymn from Charles Wesley. Here we go. Ah, whither would ye fly to screen your guilty heads? Danger and death is always nigh, where'er a sinner treads. Impenitent ye strive to escape with fruitless haste, whom earth must swallow up alive, or hell receive at last. Tremble, ye Christless crowd, whom death and hell pursue. Strangers and enemies to God, alas, what will ye do? In vain ye change your place, if still unchanged your mind, or fly to distant climes unless ye leave your sins behind. 
Your sins her vengeance call, your sins the scourge demand, your sins have judgment brought on all, the sad, polluted land. Cursed for your only sake, the earth reels to and fro, and lo, its deep's foundations shake, and Tophet yawns below. The nations to rebuke, when God his power displays, earth trembles at his threatening look, and moves and shifts its place. Infernal thunders roar, and speak his kindled ire, and hills dissolve like wax before the sin-consuming fire. Who can escape the wreck in that vindictive day? The mountains at his presence quake, the mountains flee away. The rocks he rends and tears, and violently throws down, and nature in convolutions bears the terror of his frown. Strong towers and massy walls, from their foundations leap. The heaven-invading city falls into a ruinous heap. His destined prey to seize, old oceans burst his chains. The fountains of the great abyss are broken up again. On hell's apparent brink, who shall the sinner save? Cities and men and kingdoms sink into a common grave. What man the earth survives, the earth to chaos hurled, while final ruin fiercely drives her plowshare o'er the world. One only place remains, and always shall endure, a place where peace and safety reigns, and sinners rest secure. And hidden place above, where once the prophet stood, and saw the majesty of love, and saw the passing God. Hither ye worms, come up! who from his judgments fly, and meet him on the mountain top, and on his love rely. Safe in the sacred rock, look down on all beneath, and at destruction smile and mock the pointless darts of death. What though the earth remove, believers cannot fear, hid in the cliffs of dying love, while death and hell are near. And house believers have eternal in the skies, and find a life beyond the grave, a life that never dies. Well, that's a interesting, beautiful, and maybe perhaps to you and to me at first, a weird hymn. That's not a typical hymn we would be singing in church for a few reasons. First of all, just the length, 10 stanzas, we probably would cut that down in a normal church worship service, but also the content is a little interesting. I hope you picked up on that. I'll leave a link in the description to a place where you can find this hymn and some of the hymns like it. I suggest you read them and check them out. But right now, just very briefly, very overview kind of style, I'm going to talk about three things that this hymn does, that Charles Wesley does in this hymn, which are worth appreciating, noting, and just maybe perhaps thinking about as we think about our corporate worship, our hymns that we're singing, and maybe some new hymns that need to be written. First thing I want to note is that most of the hymn, until you get to the hem, uh, the end, is very perhaps dark in our minds, or very vengeful, very wrath-centric. It's interesting to read that much of this hymn, as much as it's speaking to the believer's comfort, is actually speaking judgment upon unbelievers. Maybe picked it up that ye Christless crowd line, it's calling out to those who are sinning, who are warranting, who are bringing upon themselves this judgment that the hymn is describing. So one thing that I think we should note here is that 
while hymns are us addressing other believers, singing to God, there's also an evangelistic plea. It's calling unbelievers to think about the world, to think about their responsibilities, and to realize that there's great sin in this world. So that's one of the things. This hymn really emphasizes, really brings out a hymn's ability to call out to sinners, believers, unbelievers, whoever we might be. It has this ability to draw into our minds not only the goodness of God, the glories of God, but also our human sin. Very powerful point. The second thing to note is that this hymn really demonstrates another image of God and also another side of worship. If you think about many of the worship songs that we're singing today, especially today in our, if you're in evangelical circles, contemporary evangelical circles, much of our songs and hymns are celebratory. They're praising God. They're speaking his glories. They're triumphant. They're victorious. They have powerful tunes, powerful rhythms, and they call on the believer to belt out the glories of God and what he has done in our lives in redeeming us. And that, of course, is a great and wonderful thing. We should be singing about that. We should be singing about that constantly. But this hymn looks at God and thinks about worship or reflects worship on the other side of that. While it's great to sing about God's love and his redemption, this side calls us to remember God's justice, his vengeful character, God using his creation to bring judgment upon wickedness and sin. And that's something that we see constantly in scripture, in the Psalms and the prophets. It's recognizing that we should turn to God, praise God, but recognizing also that he is the great creator who does not abide sin, who does not dwell with sinners, who does not appreciate, who does not enjoy, who does not love sinful activity at all, who will actually pour out judgment upon sin. And of course, there's a big conversation. I think that's a wonderful feature about God, a wonder, wonderful attribute and work of God, and one that we should definitely take in today as we think about injustice and violence in our world today, recognize our God sees injustice and will respond in this life or the next. No one escapes his justice, save as we'll get to later, Christ. But that's a powerful thing that we need to sing. This is a song that I imagine when sung, would be coming from a low place, a dirge, a lament, coming from a recognition of our sinfulness and God's just response. That's really the emphasis of the first side, God's destructive power against sin. It speaks of his glory, his amazing power, but in the context of his judgment. And I think that's something that Christians today need to sing about, bring into our minds and awareness that we're dealing with a God who has absolute control over the natural world and is actually involved in the natural world and will even use his creation to respond to human sin. And we can see here, and this is now getting into the last point, that Charles Wesley, and this was a big part of my conversation, that the Wesleys talked about judgment and natural disasters and earthquakes on one side, punishment for sin, judgment for sin, but also God's loving and gracious warnings. Through an earthquake, it points to a greater reality. Through an earthquake, people are reminded of their mortality, reminded of their sin, and reminded of their need to get right with God, to use that, that saying. 
and we can think about that in many contexts. And of course, there's been a lot of discussion with these kind of themes with the coronavirus going on right now. But the hymn really brings out this other side of God, his judgment, his wrath, his work on that end, and also how we might approach him in worship from that perspective. Understand it's a call to recognize who we are and how much we really do need the grace of God and how amazing God is to bring about these wonders, these terrible wonders, thinking along the lines of perhaps the plagues of Egypt. In my presentation yesterday, I spoke about number 16 and the ground swallowing up Korah. Great and wonderful displays that pour out judgment upon sinners, but also for the sinners who don't die, it's a chance to realize what's going on. They need to repent. And for believers, it's a great and wonderful reminder. Wow, how amazing it is it that this is the God who loves me and cares for me? One who can use the mountains, can shake the mountains, can overturn the mountains. And he does that to pour out judgment upon injustice and wicked uh, wickedness in this world. Amazing to think about. Final thing I want to note is that this hymn brings it all together in Jesus Christ. At the start, you're probably going, whoa, what is going on here? It's so full of wrath and destruction, which, as we just discussed, is good and uh, something we need to discuss. But ultimately, it concludes in Jesus Christ. It uses what's going on in the world during the times of Wesley. Wesley is bringing to bear this reflection upon earthquakes and disaster to say, you need to flee to Christ. And what is the image of Christ he draws us to? The rock. Christ being the rock of our salvation, a rock who cannot be shaken, a rock who cannot be overturned. This is the one we need to look to in the face of natural disaster. And I think this is a wonderful hymn as we think about coronavirus, as we think about natural disasters going on in our world, injustice going on in our world. This is a point we should bring out in our hymns, something that the reformers, the evangelicals did so well, and it was second nature to them. We should talk about the realities of life, talk about how we don't always approach God with this celebration, but often we need to come in humility and lament and bring ourselves to him in petition and, and wondering what's going on and recognize that he provides stability. He, through Christ, provides escape. He, through Jesus Christ, his cross, his resurrection, brings victory and life, even in the midst of these very difficult, very destructive situations. And that is all part of his gracious, op uh, gracious activities on behalf of his people. So hymns like these, we don't often sing them. We don't have many songs that we're singing in this style, but it brings to bear, it discusses, it draws us into worship in the context of God and his great power, judgment against sin, but ultimately the salvation that can be found in Jesus Christ. I invite you, check out those links below, read some of these hymns, think about them, and maybe think about how Christian churches, evangelical churches might benefit from singing these types of hymns again, from really bringing those back into our corporate, our church body, conscious uh, worship, behavior, fellowship, and everything else in between. So that's Charles Wesley's Earthquake Hymn. I hope you enjoyed it. And now, before ending this episode, I just want to briefly talk about what are some of my plans for the future. I probably won't be uploading for the next couple of weeks, just swamped with papers. I want to get those done and get those done well. But hopefully over Christmas break and in the near future, I, I want to highlight a couple of things. I have two big projects that I'm thinking about and hopefully we'll be working on. The first one, as I discussed with some of my friends, 
I have a project that's coming up on the channel about congregationalism. That's something a lot of my friends will be asking about. I know a lot of discussions online about polity and church governance. So I'm going to go through maybe three or four episodes talking about congregational polity, what it is, its roots in history. I'll be looking at one figure, figure in particular who is very Im- influential in popularizing and defending congregational polity. And at the end, I'll have a Q&A episode where I already have some questions, but please feel free comment down below, send me an email, questions you have about congregational polity. I'll try to take a stab at all of them. And well, hopefully if they're, if they weren't their own episode or maybe a blog, I'd have to take it there. But if I can, I'd love to answer some questions. Again, it's a colloquy. I want to be dialoguing with the people in church history, but also dialoguing with you. That's what the channel's all about. The second big project that I'm working on really lines up with two of the papers I'm working on right now. I'm going to be having a couple episodes on Uh, Ulrich Zwingli, the great Swiss reformer of the Reformation, and discussing his view of the Lord's Supper and its legacy in the Reformation. That's often another heated discussion point in online circles and real-life theological circles, how we understand the Lord's Supper, how we relate to specific reformational understandings understandings of the Lord's Supper. There's a lot of debate and confusion, and I think uh, maybe a bit of blurriness when it comes to Zwingli's view, how it fits into the wider picture. So using some of my research based on a class I'm doing now, it's Church Fathers in the Theology of the Reformation. I'm going to be sharing a bit about Zwingli, how he related to some of the Church Fathers, and who were the people, the reformers, the pastors, picking up on his theological legacy. The final thing that I'm going to be doing, and this is in the future, is a lot more episodes that relate to my schoolwork. I have a lot of very interesting classes coming up in the new year. I'm excited to do the classes, do the work, do the readings, but I hope a lot of my episodes will be sharing some of those readings with you so that maybe I can bring you into the conversation that I'm having with my professors, my classmates, and hopefully sharing some of the things I'm learning and applying them to evangelical and Christian life today church life and our normal day-to-day walks. Anyway, that's the plans for the future. That was today's episode. I hope you enjoyed. If you did, please share it with a friend. Let them in on our conversation, what we're discussing. And if you did enjoy, please leave a like, leave a review. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know if you have any ideas, any questions, any comments. And I really want this, again, to be a colloquy. So that's all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed, and I look forward to being with you here again next time on Christian's Colloquy. Take care.